Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's show. We're going to be continuing our discussion of trauma, which is such a bright and lovely discussion to bring everyone, right, Denise? Doesn't it seem personally, globally, in our social circles, in our family circles, that this is huge right now? Yeah, it really is. The world is being traumatized right now. And so I think it's a very apt time to talk about what trauma does to the body, the mind, the soul, the spirit. And so I do think this is really important. And it's a difficult topic, though. It really is. It's hard to face the trauma that you have endured as a child or a teen or an adult and to really be honest and truthful with yourself. It's difficult stuff, but it's important. Well, it almost takes the whole living with a narcissist down to another core level of okay, yes, I I lived in a narcissistic or abusive or an emotionally toxic environment, but then you have to go down to the next level of pulling out that taproot and saying, this is what, this is the seed that was planted. And this is what we really need to focus and take care of in order to release those, the negativity, the toxicity, and the things that are are holding us back from fully embracing our lives now. Mm, Well said. Okay, I want to hear your perspective on on this thing I read in Alice Miller's book, The Body Never Lies. The whole book is basically written on the premise that we need to rethink the fifth commandment, you know, the one that says, honor thy mother and father. It has just really spun my 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 head up, you know, like I'm just trying to think like, oh, what, what if we exclude that? What does that mean? She says, even if you're not Christian, this cultural and usually religious pressure to put your parents on this pedestal, whether they deserve it or not, is universally recognized. But she says that the body always knows the truth. So even if you say, but I love my mom and dad, when inside you're subconsciously still afraid of this parent, the body will reject these words and create dis-ease in the body until this truth is recognized. She says, we have been bound for thousands of years to a commandment that hardly anyone has questioned, simply because it underscores the physical reality that all children, abused or not, will always love their parents. You know, she's basically saying, why do we need a commandment? Of course, kids are going to love their parents. Only as adults do we have a choice. Superficially, the fifth commandment can be regarded as a kind of life insurance for old people which was perhaps necessary in biblical times, she says, but is certainly no longer required today. On closer inspection, we see this commandment contains a threat, a kind of moral blackmail that has lost none of its potency. If you want to live a long life, you have to honor your parents, even if they don't deserve it. Otherwise, you will die an early death. Because we have to remember in full, this commandment says, Honor your mother and father so your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. So what do you think about that? Well, I think if we look at it from generational of his parents or grandparents that were born in the, the 30s or 40s, the expectations of what families were or what practices were. And I remember having this conversation with my mother years ago, and she said, we were fully grown people at 18 years old. You were done. You weren't a child. You were an adult. You went into the world. You what? You moved forward. And 
and how we've progressed uh, adulthood and adolescence to be further and further and further out. So I think that that's another part of this is if we go back in time with that spare the rod, spoil the child mentality that was so prevalent, but also the life was so different. And, and exactly that you just, and even I was brought up with that. Your mother is always right. It doesn't matter. You're not going to disagree. And it kept a lot of the grief at bay because she's a very strong-willed woman. I love my mother dearly. She's in spirit now. But I think whatever, for those of us empathic folks who were brought up in families where we were told, you'll do this, you'll behave yourself, you're not going to have a voice, that does plant those deep seeds. And it is hard to, you love them, you honor them, you've been taught that, but there's that little part of you that's saying, but where am I in this mix? And not in a selfish or self-centered way, But I think that that's a huge, huge, huge topic, Samantha. I really do. I do too. I mean, imagine, you know, yeah, we might've had cold parents uh, or some of us might've had cold parents unable to love, but others had parents who uh, emotionally beat them down, physically beat them down or sexually abused them. And to be living under this universal commandment that no matter what, you have to love your parents, I think is a very, very difficult concept that does deserve to be questioned. I actually, I think I shared this on the show before. I actually went to my priest about this because, you know, I have a very difficult relationship with my mother and I didn't want to, you know, you break the top 10, right? That's a big deal. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not getting <laughs> it past Peter in those pearly gates. Yes. <laughs> I went to my priest and and I told him, you know, some of the things my mom had done to me as a child. And it, you know, again, it's, I've never been physically hit. I've never been sexually abused. She just kind of eroded my soul by always uh, either excluding me, disowning me or putting me down or making me feel worthless. And he said what the original writers of the Bible were trying to say is honor your honorable parents. Right. And I, I think that is so important. If only that other word had been put in there. So Miller says this strange idea of having to love God so that he does not punish me for my rebelliousness and disappointment, but instead rewards me with the love that forgives all becomes just as much the expression of our childish dependency and insecurity as the assumption that like our parents, God is in desperate need of our love. But is this not a completely grotesque idea? A higher being dependent on inauthentic feelings dictated by morality is strongly reminiscent of the insecurity displayed by our frustrated and disoriented parents. Such a being can be called God only by people who have never questioned their own parents or thought about their own dependency on them. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really deep. And it's something I remember as a kid I always used to wonder that, like, you know, why would God need Abraham to sacrifice his only son? You know, and of course the nuns would be like, well, it was to symbolize this ultimate sacrifice he would make with Jesus. And I would say to them, well, I thought we were all God's children. Why is Jesus like his only kid? I thought we were all his children. And they just would tell me to sit down. And, you know, they turned their back and rolled their eyes at, oh, oh yeah. Samantha. yeah. There he goes again. <laughs> all right. Okay, I'm sorry. So, Go ahead. No. 
So Miller says what usually materializes is a pathological attachment, a mixture of fear and dutiful obedience that hardly deserves the name of love in the genuine sense of the word. People abused in childhood frequently hope all their lives that someday they will experience the love they've been denied. These expectations reinforce their attachment to their parents, an attachment that religious creeds refer to as love and praise as virtue. There is a price to be paid for this morality. It is a price paid by the body. Wow. Yeah. This price isn't necessarily like an ulcer or cancer. She uses all sorts of different examples. Mainly it's a a low-grade constant anxiety. It can be, she gives a couple of examples of people who develop skin issues, like an, an itchy scalp or... Like a, like a nonstop itching, a dermatitis that will pop up when you're around your parents or you're denying your truth. So it's not always like a major disease. It can be a, a chronic or, a, or, you know, a fairly low-grade anxiety. I do think that there's often a correlation with different chakra centers with how we may manifest that. Do you feel it in your solar plexus that you end up with real stomach issues? Do you get uh, sore throats a lot? Do you have ear infections? Do you have, you know, headaches or migraines that that would correlate with your third eye? So sometimes paying attention to that around, because I've been paying attention to that more when I'm dealing with people that may be a bit more toxic is, am I physically feeling it? And and I think we're all being more fine-tuned right now, don't you? Mm, I definitely do. I definitely do. I think we're being called to kind of pull away those, those layers that we've used to protect ourselves. And it's leaving many of us feeling kind of raw and, and exposed, but that's a good thing. I think that's the first step to healing. Right. Now, because we, we often, we often think about you're bringing up the physical impact and we're talking about the correlation with, with chakras, but you know, we often, and it's been my mindset for a long, long time is I think of trauma as having flashbacks or fear or guilt, shame, nightmares, issues with trust, feelings of suspicion, which all do align beautifully if you've been in any type of relationship that is toxic or has left seeds of trauma. But I think what we're talking about is going in in even deeper and saying, how can we address this so that we can take care of ourselves and not let it have such rampant control over our physical, mental, and spiritual selves. Yeah, that's the key. And in everything I've read for these two shows, it says the same thing, truth, authenticity, openness, you know, speaking your truth, allowing yourself to feel your authentic feelings is so important. And I think for empaths, that's especially hard because we normally just shield ourselves from it or feel much better focusing on other people. Right. You know, I was doing a a chakra cleanse on one of my kids and uh, I (laughs) don't want to call anyone out. So I won't say which one, but all my kids are very intuitive and very empathic, but they're teenagers. So they're kind of like, Oh, there's mom and her crystals, you know, like they don't really have a whole lot of interest in it. So I'm doing the chakra balance cleanse on one of my daughter's and her solar plexus was the only one that was blocked. So I put my, my hands over her stomach and I just saw all these images, Denise. It was just flash, 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 flash. 
And I said, your, your third period teacher is having like issues in her marriage and it's freaking her out and they might have to move. And um, there's a girl in your first period class who's going through this, this, and that. And you know, I don't want to, but all these images came to my mind and my daughter just sat up and she said, how the hell do you know that? And I said, well, honey, it's, you're holding it all in your stomach. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, I, she's like, my third period teacher is super happy. That's why she's my favorite teacher. And I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. And then a week later she came home and she was like, oh, you're scaring me. And the, the teacher announced that next year will be her last year because they have to move. And so wow. I think as empaths, we are subconsciously picking up all that stuff. When I was focusing on her, I just saw this, like a crowded hallway in that high school and all these emotions like spurs being flung at her and just clinging to her energy. And she was doing her darndest to, you know, clear them all off. But sometimes you need a little bit of extra help. So I think for empaths, it's extra hard. So I think what's really important is that, is that we own our story. We, and I don't mean like you have to put a microphone in front of yourself like I do and, and spew your childhood trauma. I'm not saying that, but just to yourself own your story. Now, here's something that Miller says, Denise, that has really shook my world. She says that when we suppress all these feelings and emotions of what happened to us as children, when we push our trauma down, that yeah, most people will fall ill unless she says, they leave it to their children to pick up the check by projecting onto them the emotions they cannot admit themselves. Wow. That is something I think is interesting because my mom is staring down 83 years old and she smokes two packs of cigarettes a day. Uh, She still drinks quite a bit. I know because I'm my sister and I are the ones who get her her wine and scotch when she needs it. She eats whatever the heck she wants. I can't remember the last time my mom was sick. I think the last time I was seven or eight years old when she was in the hospital with food poisoning. That woman never gets sick. Now she's decrepit now. She's older. Like she, you know, she can't like move around a lot, but she's healthy. Right. What do you think about that? That they subconsciously project it onto their kids. Well, I think that goes back to that story I told a long time ago about there was a student in my class and I started to feel physically ill. And when I realized it wasn't mine, like physically, I nauseous. I thought I was going to pass out. I had to sit down and I went around the corner and I pushed it back and said, no, thank you. That's not mine. And the person who had been sending me that energy had all the same physical symptoms. So I a really strong possibility, physical sensitives as well as emotional sensitives. One thing listeners can do is they can look to their childhood illnesses for some clues. You know, I know as a kid, I never felt that I could speak my truth. And so I got strep throat all the time to the point where the doctor wanted to pull my tonsils and my mom said no. So if you look at any chronic illness you had as a kid, it might give you a clue. If you look at, okay, well, the throat is the fifth chakra. That's about speaking your truth. Maybe you had stomach issues. That's solar plexus. That's confidence and self-worth. Or maybe you had headaches. That's feeling a lack of control in your life. So I think that's important to look at as well. Right. Now, Gabby Bernstein has a new book out 
Happy Days, The Guided Path from Trauma to Profound Freedom and Inner Peace. And in her book, she has three simple exercises to help process buried emotions and resolve that old trauma that you may be holding. And one of them, the first suggestion is based on the EMDR therapeutic practice of eye movement, desensitization, and, and reprocessing that helps you tap into your subconscious and allow your brain to reprocess those buried emotions. So she's suggesting working with an EMDR therapist, but she also brings up that you can, you know, use brain by bilateral brain stimulation, listen to a song. And we've talked that a lot about brain entrainment, going into binaural beats, all of those things, but you can put on headphones with a binaural EMDR music and it starts to soothe your system and because it's so relaxing and then write about your emotions, whatever you're feeling at the moment, it doesn't have to be about the original trauma. It can just be where you are today. And in the space of relaxing and letting that stimulus hit your brain, it begins to open up what's called the window of tolerance to help you process these feelings. And after those 20 minutes, you put down your pen and you meditate for 20 minutes lie on your back, press your right hand to your heart and your left hand on your belly. That's called heart hold and it helps soothe your nervous system. And you deeply inhale and exhale completely. And that's going to help allow your body to settle into the the presence of that healing that's trying to happen. So I thought that was a really useful thing to try. And it's something that you can locate an EMDR therapist personally. And I'm not discounting what, what Gabby Bernstein is saying. But I think if there's a music that puts you in that meditative state, you could try this practice and see if it would help. Oh, I think so too. I've heard wonderful things about EMDR therapy. I've never tried it. We can do our personal work. We can you know, meditate. We can do yoga. We can do all the things that we've talked about on and on, but maybe it's reaching out to a new technique or process will be what it needs to jumpstart the, the healing that you're, you're looking for. Uh, Another thing that she mentions in her book is uh, EFT, emotional freedom technique, which a lot of people know as as tapping. And it's similar to EMDR in that you you tap on different energy meridians. And while you're tapping, you're talking about an emotional disturbance you want to walk out. So the theory is that you're putting pressure on certain points and it helps you decrease anxiousness and psychological distress. And her quick practice that she mentions is if you're feeling anxious, stressed out, afraid, tap between your ring finger and your middle finger and tap right there on that meaty part of your skin. And while you're tapping, say to yourself, I am safe. I am safe. That's extremely settling to the system. And to repeat that affirmation while tapping that point. And I I think that even if you're feeling uneasy, you're starting to feel it. So it may be a precursor to doing the deeper trauma work. And always remembering to breathe deeply and remind yourself that you're safe. Because I think trauma leaves that that long-term residual impact of I'm not safe. I need to be on red alert, fight or flight, adrenaline rush. And any little techniques that we can use to help recenter ourselves, I think are going to help immensely. I do too, 100%. We've got to get really clear and focused on on who we are and what we're feeling. And that's why meditation and journaling certainly come into play here, in addition to these great techniques you've mentioned, because so often we go through life with this disassociated sense of, of who we are, and we're not even conscious of our true needs and feelings. I read an, a study years ago that said 
I don't know if it was 25 or 30% of people knew as they walked down the aisle on their wedding day that they were making the wrong decision. Right. And like that freaked me out. Like, how could you know that on that day and still go through with it? And yet I think a lot of people, we just push our true feelings down. And so that's why in this book, Alice Miller says the most important act of service we can give ourselves is the ability to tell the truth about the story of our lives. And again, I'm not saying you have to tell the truth in a book or on a podcast. I just mean to yourself. If we aren't truthful to ourselves and eventually others about what happened to us, then our bodies feel this and we get unbalanced. Every time we repress an emotion or a memory, we often feel fatigued, depressed, scattered, or we can hide it in an addiction to numb the pain, or we'll just hide from this truth by staying perpetually busy, focusing on work and helping others, anything to avoid the pain and truth within. Well, that's the third exercise that Gabby Bernstein mentions in her book is get to know your fears and processing those buried emotions and working through the trauma is important but you really have to take the the time to get clear. And she says, spend five minutes a day checking in with fearful thoughts that are running the show. What's really fears crop up and just call them out and see them for what they are. Put a big light on them, put the big interrogation light on that fear and see it for what it really is. Because, and I say this too many times. So thank you for being so patient. If you can keep people afraid and, or angry, you can control them. And if we're letting our fears control us, we're never able to fully break free from it. She also suggests taking a moment to reflect what you know about those fears. How do they tend to make their appearance? Do they come out of left field? Is there a trigger? Is that what's the origin? How do they physically feel in your body? Because fear does have a very physical reaction for most of us. We might feel jittery. We might feel our stomach flip. We might feel anxiety in our heart chakra. There's usually a very, very clear physical reaction to to revisiting fears. And then finally, you can ask yourself, how can I honor my true self? We spend so much time trying to push these thoughts and fears away. But instead, if you just give it five minutes and say, "Okay, I'm going to look this right in the face and see it for what it is and own my part in it, it's going to let you get back in the driver's seat to move forward. So I think all of these things that, that Alice Miller is bringing up, that Gabby Bernstein is bringing up, that the different you know things we've mentioned over these two shows, it's really being brave enough to go within and look at stuff that might be so uncomfortable or so private or so hidden. But once you are able to kind of reach back for your younger self's hand and say, we've got this it's going to allow you to start to improve your quality of life. I think very, very quickly. I do too. Now, something else Miller mentions in this book, I'd love your feedback on Denise. She is not an advocate of forgiveness. She says it is not true that forgiveness will free us from hatred or trauma. It merely helps us to cover it up and reinforce it. So she's saying like, she's not saying forgiveness is bad, but she's just saying that forgiveness isn't really the ultimate end all. And she says in so many of her patients, and she's passed on now, but in so many of the patients that she met with who had been to other therapists, when they pushed forgiveness on the client before the client was ready, 
it simply reinforced that morality of, oh, I have to love everyone and be compassionate and forgive everyone and deny the truth of what happened to me. Right. What do you think about that? A lot of times people will say the forgiveness is for yourself. It's allowing you to break free. It's allowing you to cut that cord that has held you hostage, that you're not forgiving the behavior. You may be, I think that that's, that's a, a, one of those topics that you can look at from different perspectives and see a different way. We've, and it goes back to those original things. We've always been taught you forgive people, or, or a lot of us may have been taught that in our religious upbringing or our family of origin. Don't hold a grudge, forgive people. It's not okay. So I'm not sure on that one. I think I'm going to have to have think. Have you seen that, that example of, of the person who drops a plate on the floor and the plate shatters? And she says to the plate, I'm so sorry. And and the messages of that little cartoon or meme is, you know, you can say you're sorry, but that plate is still broken. It's not going to be whole again, you know, or that plate has to put itself together. I don't know. But the whole point is that, you know, forgiveness is a beautiful thing, but it, it doesn't deny what happened. You know, the event still happened and the ramifications of that still happened. And I think some people look at forgiveness as, well, I forgave it. So, you know, let's just go back to the way things were. And, and you can't go back to the way things were. Right. And that's scary. It is scary. It is. She also says, it is not true that hatred makes us ill. Repressed or disassociated emotions make us ill. The conscious feelings that we give expression to free us and heal us. And that was really new to me because I always, I I hate the emotion of hatred, (laughs) right? Like, isn't it awful when you feel like that awful anger towards someone? It doesn't make you feel good at all. It's a terrible emotion to swim in. That's one of the words I'm very, I don't use that word very often. So if something triggers that deep of a response in me to use that word, then I know that I've hit some, some, some pretty, uh, groundbreaking stuff in myself because I'm, I'm really, I think that's a very powerful, powerful word to use. Yeah. I don't think I've ever hated anyone. I've been angry. I've been hurt, but I don't think I've ever hated someone. I don't know. I certainly did not like the man that tried to kill my ex-husband, but I, I didn't hate him. You know, have you well, ever, that's always someone? the, no, not to that. No, I've been angry or upset, but, but pure raw hate. No. And, um, that would always, I cry every time is when I see these things where someone's child or, or when they have, you, have you seen these, when someone will go to a prison to talk to the person that killed their child and say, I forgive you. And they end up being friends with the person and helping them get back on their lives. I don't know that I could go to that degree. Right. I really don't. Right. And too. and I think if you are feeling hatred for someone who so violated your life or or someone that you love, or we're not judging that in any way, shape, or form because it's a very personal, um, personal experience. And and it goes back to what we talked about in the last show of trauma, grief, healing, they're all a very personal experience that we can't compare to someone else with how we respond or how we work through something. But the really cool part is when you do start to 
face the trauma and, and release it, it allows you to reconnect in you and with your deeper self and your higher power. So you have a stronger sense of self and you have more understanding about how to navigate other situations in your life. Mm, that's really, really true. One of the things she suggests in her book is that we have to be the enlightened witness to the child within us. And she says, we should ask ourselves what scared me as a kid, where did I feel powerless and what did I not allow myself to feel? And I think it would be important if we're all focusing on healing from trauma to ask those questions then and now, you know, so also journal what scares me now, where do I feel powerless now? And what am I not allowing myself to feel? I think those are great questions to focus on. I agree. I agree very much so. She says the path to adulthood lies not in tolerance for the cruelties we've been exposed to, but in the realization of our own truth and the development of empathy for the maltreated child. And that's something she focused on a lot towards the end of the book, Denise, was that a lot of therapists will ask you, okay, tell me all the bad stuff that your parents did and then tell me all the good stuff. And they'll ask you to kind of weigh it on a scale. And you could apply this to a traumatic experience you might've had as an adult. You know, let's say you were in a traumatic relationship with someone who was a narcissist or worse. And, and you say to yourself, well, he or she isn't always bad, or they don't always cheat on me, or they don't always say mean things to me, or they don't always fill in the blank. Right. And she says, when you do that, you deny the pain you have experienced. I don't know. It was a trippy book, I have to say, because it went against so much of what was ingrained in me. What has been ingrained in me is love and honor your parents, forgive everyone, treat everyone with goodness, kindness, and compassion, and weigh the good against the bad. And and her book throws all of that in, in its face. And it's just, I'm not saying I advocate for what she's saying. I'm just saying I like anything that makes me think. And uh, reading this book in preparation for these shows has definitely made me think because I know I've done that so many times, but especially with my parents, you know, well, there were some good times and there were, there was that one fun time and, oh, and they did that and, and they provided that and that's good. So let's just, you know, let's just sweep all that bad stuff under the rug and just suck it up, Samantha. You'll, you're fine. Look, you're doing great. You're fine. I mean, haven't, haven't you done that? Yes, and I think that it's when we're looking at trauma, especially where it's a continuum of healing. And if you go back to, uh, there was a a psychologist, a French psychologist in the 1800s, Pierre Jeannet, and this was in the late 1800s, who came up with the first framework for trauma recovery. In 1992, psychologist Judith Herman transformed Janet's initial ideas into a three-stage approach to understanding trauma. And the first phase is safety and stabilization in that trauma survivors need to feel unsafe in their bodies and relationships and others. That's where we start. And we may struggle with regulating our everyday emotions. Uh, We may not associate directly with the trauma. And this process can take months or even years for some people to regain that sense of safety. And then in the second phase, we go into remembrance and mourning. And this is when people begin to process the drama. They're able to give words and emotion to it, to to, to start to make meaning of it. 
And this is often best done with a trained counselor or a therapist because you, you, you're digging deep with this. And this is, again, based on the work by Judith Herman. It's important to mourn the losses associated with the trauma and give yourself space to grieve and express your own emotions about it. Stage three, which is reconnection and integration. And this is where you start to realize the impact of the victimization that's been experienced and begin to believe that trauma is no longer the defining principle in your life. And it can be, this can be the building blocks to be able to have more meaningful relationships, to create a new sense of self and create a new future. This is where we really start to heal and grow. So if you are thinking, oh my gosh, I'm at this age in my life for this point in my life, and I've been carrying this, this heavy pack of, of trauma and grief and loss for decades, just know that you might be in that flux stage of really getting ready to step into reconnection and integration and saying, I've, I've done this deep work. I think during this, this poignant time of transition that the world is going through, we also have to apply that to the ancestral guilt we may be, be trying to heal as well. Yeah, the ancestral guilt. Say some more about that. Well, that goes back into things that have been passed down from, from generation to generation. And we, we've talked in other shows about you may have a marker on your DNA because of if your, your ancestors were Holocaust survivors or if you were in the potato famine in Ireland. There's so many different variables that they're finding how that's passed down genetically we can get into the epigenetics and the ancestral healing, but if it's always been, uh, let's just use one brief thing that the, it may be an emotional or physically abusive was in your family of origin. And you can look back at your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, and that pattern has been, this is the way we do it. This is how it's been passed down. Your, all the work you're doing as a sensitive, as an empath, as an intuitive, as a healer, whatever label, you're sending that healing back as well as forward. So even though you're saying, wow, I'm doing my own work, it's causing a ripple effect with these other generations. And, and I believe in, in different realms of existence. Mm, I agree. And if, if anyone's interested in that, there's a good book that really dives into that called It Didn't Start With You. And it really goes into studies that prove this ancestral epigenetics point. One of the things I read in that book, Denise, that made me go, oh, come on. I did not know this. I told, I told my daughters and they were like, mom, did you take a science class ever? Yes, I did. So I'm sure every listener knows this, but I did not know this. The egg that created you, like if you're, if you're, if you're a daughter, the egg that created you started with your grandmother and so in that book, it was saying, so basically you've been with your mother her entire life. <laughs> Have you ever thought of it that way? No, no. And I like science. So no, I, I've never, I, I never thought I, of it from that perspective. Yeah. The, the egg that, that created you started with your grandmother, but was held in your mother's ovaries her whole life. And so in this book, it said, so really, you've been with your mother since the day she took her first breath. And I was like, really? Is there never freedom from this woman? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, and because this is a heavy topic and it, it's not easy. But as empaths, so many of us are carrying some level of trauma that we're, we're trying to free ourselves from. 
And it can be really simple and not simple for those of us. We talked about the hyper uh, <laughs> hyper independence a few shows ago, but learning how to accept some support because I think we all do want to heal. Finding the right help for you, it might be a therapist, it might be a journal, it might be an informed witness, it might be. There's so many different ways to look at this on some level, saying that what you went through was real and deep. Find someone that you feel safe enough to tell your story to. Be careful with how you're trying to deal with it. If you're finding yourself turning to a substance or an addictive practice rather than because it's too painful, take a little tiny, tiny little step in taking care of yourself. And it really does make a big difference. And I think it's important too, in addition to those great suggestions, to not compare your trauma. You know, I remember growing up as a kid, I would say to my sisters, like, we need to talk about this. We need to think that. I was always like, let's talk about it. Let's sweep it out from underneath the carpet. Let's put a light on it. And and so often the message I got and, and the message I owned as well, I mean, I definitely agreed with them was, you know, well, it's not that bad right? Like, haven't you ever felt that way about your own story, Denise? Like, gosh, so many people have it way more worse. And I think in doing that, we, we deny ourselves of, of our truth and our, our pain and our joy. And and so I think getting away from that comparison is going to be really important on, on the road to healing and not diminishing or exaggerating what you went through by comparing it to others. Right. I mentioned this in the last show as well. If you're feeling resentment towards someone who may have been the catalyst for your trauma or your grief, Dr. Judith Orloff is offering a one-day workshop for an hour and a half on April 1st at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is about building compassion and releasing resentments, how to calm your ego and open your heart. You can go to her website, drjudithorloff.com forward slash releasing grudges and resentments. And it's a one, it's an hour and a half. It's a Zoom talk and mentoring. She's going to work with specific people. So you may have a chance to, to work directly with Dr. Orloff. But this is, I think, a huge, huge part of healing from the trauma is learning to re- let, let go of those resentments. So this may be something that you, you would want to check out as a one-day event. Well, we hope this has been helpful and informative and enlightening to you all. Uh, We look forward to hearing your feedback. You can always email us if you have a question or a comment for the show, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. Please don't forget to check out our Facebook page and join our community there, Enlightened Empaths. And please take a moment to check out our individual websites. I'm at samanthafay.com. I have an online store there you might want to check out. And Denise has a beautiful website called thegratefulmessenger.com. I'll post on Facebook some of the books we've discussed in this show and that we also used in our research so that if you want to continue researching this more on your own, you can. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.